Hey, Natil. I, uh, I got fired from the keyboard factory. Why'd you get fired from the keyboard factory? I wasn't putting in enough shifts. Ah! <laughs> yeah, that's how we're kicking the show off today. This is Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDY.com. I love a good pun. Yeah. I also love a, I also love a bad pun. I like a good dad joke. Those are good, too. Uh, all right, so we are uh, we got a busy show today. We're going to do the rundown at uh, 1230. We'll get some headlines. Uh, Jeremy Jackson, he is the director of NDSU's Center for the Study of Public Choice and Private Enterprise, is going to be on about occupational licensing. I know it sounds boring, but there are some really zany things we make people get licenses to do as an occupation in this state, like shampooing hair. Do you know you got to have a license to shampoo hair? That seems unnecessary. North Dakota requires it. Minnesota doesn't. Anyway, we'll have him on to talk a little bit about that. Also, Congressman Kevin Kramer joins us later in the program uh, for his weekly town hall segment. You can uh, certainly call in with your comments or questions. Net neutrality is a hot issue right now. I know uh, Representative Kramer is a supporter of some of the changes that the FCC wants to make, so we will uh, talk with him about that. Uh, plus your phone call, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY. Dot com. We're heading into the uh, Thanksgiving break, um, and I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's it's always hard that that last work day before the holiday. Yeah, it's hard to focus on anything. It's hard to get anything done. I mean, I'm already, I'm looking ahead for it. I'm looking ahead for. I I love Thanksgiving. Um, you know, the food and everything. Obviously, I think I think my favorite part of Thanksgiving though, and and really any of the holidays are the board games. You know, my family gets together. We like to play board games. Um, I asked on Facebook, Nitiel, today what people's favorite board games were to play, like, during Thanksgiving or, or the holiday. And uh, got, a, got a lot of them. Um, Ticket to Ride is a big one. Well, that, yeah, that's a really good, like, starter board game. Sort of, yeah. sort of trying to edge away from the Milton Bradley children's games of your past. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, it's pretty it's it's simple enough where you could you could, you know, engage sort of a broad spectrum of, of age groups, but challenging enough that it's still fun for, for a grown up, right? It's not exactly shoots and ladders. It's, it also involves my favorite part of any settlers of Catan game, getting longest road. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> longest route. So that's a lot of fun. Um <laughs> I also got some some less than uh Less than wholesome responses. Chris says, uh, we play who can drink the most without passing out. Oh, that's great. That doesn't sound. We gamble sometimes in my family. Yeah. What do you gamble? uh, We play, we play, we play dice. We play six by four. Oh, okay. And a lot of times dad will bust out a couple rolls of quarters and we'll split the quarters out evenly to start. And then we bet the quarters as we go through. And then whoever wins gets to keep the quarters. You know, when we, when I was a kid, the big game was Monopoly, right? I hated Obviously. Monopoly. Classic. I still hate Monopoly. Why do you hate Monopoly? Because I, <laughs> because dad ruined it for us. My dad, my dad is a wonderful man. I love him with all my heart, but he had my younger sister and I play Monopoly with him a couple of times when we were growing up and he was brutal just absolutely brutal to us. I mean, we must have been like six and nine. 
So he's he's just being rough on you, like oh, he's. It was, it was awful. Like we we didn't have, we didn't have a chance to learn anything before there were suddenly hotels up at, at every turn, and we we couldn't we couldn't do anything. Well, good. And so teach you we, a little something about life. It ain't fair. And well, and now I hate Monopoly. This might be why you're a liberal. I don't know. <laughs> so my dad, uh, my dad, the way we played is, um, my dad would always give us out like bank loans. Like we played so far outside. I mean, obviously, like we had like the free parking rule, right? Where you put the money from the fines in the middle, and then whoever lands on free parking gets it. We had stuff like that. But then also, like my dad would give out loans from from the bank. Like he'd be the banker, and he'd give out loans. Or we had all sorts of crazy like deals and swaps and everything. These games would literally would last for days. Like we'd leave it set up on the on the table for days. My mom would get mad because the dining room table would be monopolized by Monopoly. <laughs> what do you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think? What's your favorite sort of Thanksgiving holiday tradition? Do you play board games? Do you like playing board games? 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, Rick says, aggravation usually starts about the time we sit down at the table, then continues right into the actual game. <laughs> but I'm cha. Uh, Nicole says, Scattergories. That's a good game. I haven't played that game in a long time. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good family game, too. Yeah. Pictionary is always fun. Um, so you like Pictionary, but you don't like Apples to Apples. Pictionary is funny because it's like there's an actual... Apples to Apples is too subjective to, for me. It's it's same with Cards Against Humanity, which is basically the adult version of Apples to Apples. Um. I, I don't know. It's it's too subjective to me. Like in Pictionary, like there's there's an actual right answer. I, you know, I I don't I don't like it's too nebulous. Like there's no <laughs> specific right answer. Like we're all just sort of voting on what we feel was funniest or so. I, I don't know. This seems dumb. I, it I don't I don't like it. There, at all. I don't like cards. There's something wrong with you. I love apples to apples. There's nothing wrong with me. It's a stupid game. Uh, let's see. Mike likes Tripoli. That's like a card game, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. You know what game I never... I like a lot of board games, but you know what board game I've never played? Sort of a classic board game that everybody knows? Is Risk. Set, oh, <laughs> I was going to say, is it Settlers of Catan? No, I've played Settlers of Catan. Uh, Seth says, uh, Risk, with one player starting in Europe who gets to roll an extra dice. Um, I don't think yeah, I've I don't ever know. played through a whole game of Risk. I know I've started I know a it's like a Risk. super involved game. I know that. And it, it takes, takes a long forever. Time. At least as long as a full game of Monopoly. You know the worst thing about playing a board game on the holiday is getting it set up, right? And and especially getting it set up with a bunch of people who've never played before, and you've got that whole awkward period where nobody really knows how to play, or just a few people know how to play, and so you got to get it set up and keeping everybody engaged through that process. Like that, that to me was always sort of the the hump that you had to get over with with bringing in a new board game to the family was keeping them engaged through the whole. I'm reading the rules thing. Especially because just one person can read the rules at the same time. Or maybe now I guess people can look it up on the internet more than one person. But Yeah, see when I when I bring a board game home to to my family, because I'm sort of the, the board game geek, as it were, we have a massive collection of board games. Yeah. And so I'll I'll always bring down a board game that I pretty much know the rules of backwards and forwards, so that there's no reading of the rules. I can just set the board game up and explain things. And then I help everybody through their first turn and then let them yeah. go. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that's the way to do it. Just some games take a long time to set up. Like Power Grid. The first time we played oh God, Power I Grid. I don't think I'd bring I, Power Grid would be a long ways down the line for me. <laughs> we brought I brought it to uh I brought it to Christmas one time and I had never played it. Like it was the first time like I opened it out of the package. I'd never played it, they'd never played it. So we all had to figure it out together. Um and I'd watch some like YouTube videos about it or whatever, because I knew it was an involved game. That's a fun game though. It's very, very involved though. Uh, seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talkingwday.com. As you can tell, my mind is just totally not on work today. I'm just, I am so ready for the holiday. I'm ready for board games. I'm ready for fun with the family. <laughs> I'm a little checked out too. Now you've got me thinking about board games, and I'm trying to think if I should bring one home for Thanksgiving or not. Because uh, all right, well, my, give us some options. Let's figure this out. Well, my older half sisters won't be here, so the people playing, we we may have. It'd be somewhere between three and five players. Okay. And if we have five, then I have to be more careful because I couldn't bring Wasabi because Wasabi is only a four-player game. I've never heard of this game. Wasabi is done by the same company and the same designers that did uh, Pandemic, actually. It's a Z-Man game. Okay. Um, I really, really love Z-Man games. I own a lot of their games. But it's a a tile-laying game about making sushi. Like you're competing sushi huh. chefs and you're trying to lay out your sushi rolls in the order that's on the recipe card. Because if you put them out exactly as they show on the recipe card, you do it with style and you get extra points. And it's it's fun. My mom enjoyed that one when I taught her how to play that. Um, but God, we, we have so many. <laughs> I got a new one fairly recently that's called Kodama, which is a game where you play little forest spirits and you're basically building up a giant tree by laying out cards and you have to See, lay these the are cards. these are hippie liberal games i like games oh, about yeah. industry and hippie, fighting people liberal. that's what i want okay, buying well, up property monopoly these are the good games i have martian rails what is that martian rails is the games uh, is the game of trains in space essentially uh yeah. you are competing to build the best and most efficient a train system to deliver products from one portion of the planet to the next. Ross and I play that one a lot. I always lose. You know what game we played a lot as a family is uh, Munchkin. Munchkin is great, too. We like playing that. What's your favorite Thanksgiving holiday tradition, movie, game, whatever? What do you guys do? Let's talk about it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Like the northern wind of blowing, yeah, my lonely heart is frozen. Never knew I'd find a way to break yours too. Where the wind blows, babe, you can bet. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com. You know, last year, it, it seems like it's a little bit slow news this week. You know, it's hard to say slow news with some of the headlines going on nationally. Regionally, it's kind of, news is a little slow. Last year, about this time, it was sort of the, it was the heights of the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline protests. We were busy. Anyway, we're talking about Thanksgiving holiday traditions. What's your favorite board games, movies? What do you do with the holiday besides, you know, pack down the food? Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Zach emails, uh, hey, Rob, we play 
bingo. Everyone brings brings prizes, and we run to the prize table when bingo is called. Started years ago with my wife's grandma, or excuse me, grandpa, playing with the kids, and over the years, the adults jumped in and brought prizes. I think they have been doing this for 25-plus years. Now it has become a family annual Thanksgiving tradition that it become a no-holds-barred version of bingo. That sounds fun. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. You know what we did with my wife, my family for a while? We did Wii bowling tournaments for a while where we'd have, we'd have like, four people, like, <laughs> bowl at a time. We had a bracket and everything. We had this goofy ceramic parrot trophy that we that the winner got to take home. That's awesome. Uh, we did that for a few years. Uh, let's see. Caller, Dean, you're on. What's up? Hi, I'll reiterate with Forbidden Island. It's it's a simpler and easier to learn than Pandemic. For, for so for like newbies, it's it's really quick to set up. So sometimes I kind of prefer that just for those reasons. But like I'm also a fan of some of the really kind of the geekier um, hobby store games like Citadels and stuff like that. But sometimes that can be really competitive. So I tend to stick to like cooperative. And there, there's also a cooperative Lord of the Rings board game. But it's definitely not pandemic, but I think it was like one of the first. So it's it's okay, but it doesn't seem like it has uh, as, as much strategy as a pandemic yeah. or something. Forbidden Island. Now, you brought that up yesterday. I just I just Googled it quick. It looks like a lot of fun. We have yeah, Forbidden Island. It is it is a lot of fun. You're basically cooperating to try to get off this island before it completely sinks into the sea. Yeah, it's got these fun little treasures. You kind of collect on the way. There's four different ones, and you work together trying to get a hold of these treasures and then you have to get the helicopter car at the end to kind of escape the island before the floods is sort of the storyline and it's it's actually kind of a lot of attention to it with the when the floods when the floodwaters rise and all that and I, I think it's a lot of fun and a good alternative to pandemic sometimes but i probably prefer pandemic in the end just because it does have more depth but the, you know sometimes it's the easier one and sometimes a good way to go well, that, that's always the hard thing is finding that balance among the different age groups and different interests and finding something that is going to be engaging maybe for both an 8-year-old and a 38-year-old. Um, yeah, yeah, it's totally true. Yeah, and the setup time is in pandemic is a little little more to it than, than uh, Forbidden Island for sure. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for the call, Dean. I appreciate it. Uh, my nephew's actually messaging me. He goes, listening in, I think we should play Settlers of Catan tomorrow. I love Catan. Yeah, I do too. I actually have a version of Settlers Catan that I got for my birthday. That, and I'm I'm forgetting what it is. It's like a it's like a it's like a more in depth version. But I'm not. I have a packed way. I'm I'm sad to say I haven't even opened it yet. I haven't gotten a chance to play it. Maybe I'll bring it down to Bismarck. Uh, for that's where I'm going for Thanksgiving. I also really people. like the um, the Star Trek version of Catan. Star Trek Catan is really neat. Uh, it introduces some different rules because you have the addition of specific characters from the Star Trek series that have different little powers and things like that. That's interesting. That's cool. You know, you know what's also good on Thanksgiving is a good movie. Well, see, now and, that's uh, something I don't. We we don't really do is movies you don't on really Thanksgiving. Watch movies. We used to we used to go to like sometimes we used to go to the movies, like Thanksgiving, like after the meal. I'm on we'd board. We go to the movie theater. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun going to the movie theater with my dad's family because we, my uncles were like they had turned sneaking food into the movie theater into something of an art form. Oh, and, and they, well, because my dad grew up and he had eight siblings, right? And he had seven brothers and a sister. And it was expensive for them to all go to the movies. So 
they snuck food. I'm not, I'm not endorsing it per se, but uh, yeah, I mean, and so the, the time I went, they were all adults still, but they had like special coats with pockets and stuff in it that they're putting sodas and everything. And we go, you know, we all went in and I, I don't know. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, there was just something about my dad's seeing my dad and all his brothers like acting like kids again and like sneaking stuff in was it was something. I, I, I think the best Thanksgiving movie is probably Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, I, I don't know why that movie specifically. I just like Steve Martin, uh, John Candy. I think it's just a it's just a funny, funny movie. I really enjoy that. We watch that on Thanksgiving a lot. Um, and I watch uh, Groundhog Day. For, for some reason, I don't know why that's not really, there's nothing really specifically about Thanksgiving or Groundhog Day. I just like that movie. It seems to fit with Thanksgiving. I don't know. I don't know why it seems to fit to me. It just does. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. What's your favorite traditions for Thanksgiving? Any weird foods people have? Like any weird foods that, that they have like to have at the Thanksgiving feast? Um, ours is taco dip. I don't know what it is. My sister makes this taco dip. It's unbelievable. Ours is apple salad. Apple salad? Apple salad. All it is is Fuji apples. It has to be Fuji apples. Is like whipped cream or something? Whipped cream and marshmallows. That's all it is. There's no Snickers because a lot of people have like a isn't similar that, salad. Ambro- with... What's it? What's ambrosia? Isn't that something with like marshmallows and? Ambrosia usually has mandarin oranges in it. Oh, okay. Um, and sometimes tapioca, but mo- lots of people will have a similar salad with like with Snickers in it. No Snickers in this salad. It's it's just apples, marshmallows, and Cool Whip. Yeah, that sounds good. Taco dip's really good, but and and of course the nice thing about taco dip is it's con- very conducive to playing board games, right? It's a great snack for around. No, that's great. Around the board, yeah. My mom always makes Chex Mix, but we she makes it and puts it in giant gallon bags, and we take the Chex Mix home. And yeah. it's gotten to the point now where she has to make so many batches that she tailors each batch to the specific person that's taking it home. So, for example, my younger sister prefers corn Chex. So she gets all corn checks and no peanuts because she doesn't like peanuts. Whereas I have the peanuts, but I like rice checks better. So I get all rice checks in mine. Do you watch the Do you watch the uh, Macy's Parade? I like, haven't. Is that, is, that, a, is that a thing for you? I haven't in a very long time, but I think I'd like to again. It's a really cool thing to watch. I just haven't in so long. I don't know why I never end up watching it. Like I always think, oh, I'll watch the parade this year, and then I don't watch it. I don't know. Must I? I don't know. Maybe it's just not that cool. I think it'd be a lot cooler in person. I'm not so I, sure. I it's just like watching it on you. TV. It just gets kind of. I don't know. It's like the announcers are working very hard to make these giant balloons interesting. I don't know. All right, uh, more to come. We're gonna do the rundown after this. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wdy.com. Don't go away. The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. All right, Attila, what's in the headlines? Well, we're going to start off with Sarah Silverman fell in love with Trump supporters while traveling the country for a Hulu TV series. I think I heard about this. Isn't she, She's going out and she's like talking to people in, 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 in I guess, in Trump country, right? I mean, is that is that sort of the premise of her, her show? Yeah, basically, uh, it's a new TV series called I Love You, America. And she was basically just out meeting these 
Trump supporters one-on-one and was surprised that she was able to find a lot of common ground with them and that she felt sort of comfortable and accepted by them, which came as a big surprise to her because she had previously very openly mocked Christians and conservative voters um, in a lot of times in her in her comedy specials. And she was a Bernie supporter herself. Yeah. On one hand, I, I like what she's doing um, because I, I think we need more of this in, in our society is, is people who disagree engaging with one another and, and trying to understand that we are a nation of individuals. And too often we talk about our society, we cut it up into groups and then we expect everybody to adhere to, to groups and, and it becomes sort of tribalism and it's it's not very healthy. And so I think that's what she's discovering is she's coming out and she's finding out, you know, these are real people leading real lives who have real concerns and they're not monsters. They're just people. Um, you know, that's I, I think on one hand, I, I think that's a good exercise to do. On the other hand, I think there is some condescension where people from sort of the coastal areas or the urban areas foray out into flyover country and then act like they're on some sort of an expedition talking with, like, the local aboriginal tribes or something like that. I mean, come on. Um, this is America, too. And I, you see that a lot from reporters that come to, like, places like North Dakota to cover they cover stories, and you watch them do. Well, we saw it a lot during the Dakota Access protest last, last year where we saw, like, national reporters here, and, you know, they were just tickled pink that they were in North Dakota out here in the boondocks, you know, talking with the, the rubes, I guess. I, I don't know. There's... There's a tincture of condescension that comes with a lot of that, but it's hard for me to get too upset because I, I do think we need more of this. I, I think, I think people in the press, I think people in in entertainment need to realize that, you know, quote unquote flyover country, we're we're people too, and maybe instead of just mocking to us and condescending to us from on high in your coastal communities or urban communities, uh, you know, maybe you could just treat us like human beings. Well, and what the tone of her of her series will be is still yet to be seen because it hasn't started airing just yet. But what what I appreciated most about this story was that while uh, Silverman has sort of found that common ground and that love for Trump voters, her political convictions still remain fairly in place. Like she she still doesn't necessarily support Trump himself which to me speaks to the fact that, you know, she's not necessarily just putting on a a face so that more people will tune into her show. She's saying that she was able to find common ground with these people. Right. Maybe maybe understand why these people supported Trump. Why why are they so angry? Yeah, and that that doesn't necessarily mean she has to support Trump herself. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to do that with my friends on the left, understand where they're coming from and understand. I mean, I agree with them, but I try to understand what's motivating them. Um, if, if for nothing else is, is to maybe be more effective in trying to persuade them to, to feel differently, you know, but that's what it's about is, is it's, it's supposed to be about persuasion, right? Debate and persuasion. And a lot of times it's about these days, it's about who can insult the other side the best and then get like the most clicks or views or whatever. That's, that's not very helpful. All right. What's next? Musicians need more money is what next is what's next. Your favorite radio hits may be going silent. Songwriters threaten to withhold their music if stations don't give them a bigger share of the revenue. Well, that's interesting. So so what are they they're saying they're not getting a good enough cut now? Basically, yeah. Um 
a lot of artists, uh, in fact, about 75 different large name artists, including uh, Bon Jovi, Drake, Pharrell Williams, Bruce Springsteen, are saying that radio officials aren't giving them enough of the revenue that they deserve. Yeah. I, I think this is a healthy thing, and I think I think it's something of a power shift, right? And it's, I mean, because there, there's a lot of people talking about, like, like online streaming and that has taken a lot of money away from artists, and there's no question about that. But I think it's also shifted the, the power balance in favor of the artists as well, because ultimately the songwriters, the, the musicians, they're the ones who create the content that people want, right? I mean, they're, they're the creators. They're the ones that are cranking that stuff out. Now, they in the in, in the past, they had to cut deals with record companies and radio stations and distributors. All, all those, all the 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 music, the business side of the music industry had to cut deals with all of them to get their music out there. But now you, you, you kind of don't have to, right? I mean, you could start like a YouTube channel and build up an audience and reach a really big audience, and then get concerts and, and everything else, and, and do a lot of that promotion yourself through the internet i mean I, I think you can even as an artist like deal directly with like spotify if if you want to and so in in some ways you know i'm, I'm not going to say the business side the promoters and all that aren't needed anymore but their power is diminished and yet they're still getting paid i i think like their power was in another era and you know i'm, I'm not so sure that that's fair um well it and, is and what's most interesting to me is that there was, you know, initially there was all this hype about uh, the streaming services and how there were artists who didn't want their music on streaming services because they weren't getting enough out of that. And that's come back around now into radio, which right. we didn't hear any, like, I don't remember growing up, there was never any sort of big news about musicians or songwriters lobbying against the radio. But as soon as streaming started, I heard all sorts of news stories about that. Yeah. And now it's kind of it's now it's kind of come back around as maybe artists are realizing that streaming services aren't killing their careers. I, I think I think what's got to happen is just a realignment in the business. I, I don't think I don't I don't think that the you know sort of the traditional like the record labels in that need to be taking as big a cut as they used to. I, I think it's going to be I think the future is going to be much more artist centric because the artists themselves, the internet has removed the need for that sort of middleman in, in a lot of ways where you need somebody to put your music on a record and distribute it so that people would listen to it or to get your your record in front of an influential DJ to play it on the radio that's just not really needed anymore um or maybe it is still needed but the need for it's diminished so you know may, maybe the the profits that they're making should be diminished and the artist should get more I think that's a good thing I, I'm, I'm in I'm in favor of the creators getting as much money as possible they're the ones who are making everything I'm on board with you there all right, what's next? This story is my favorite story of the day. Eric and I talked about it uh, this morning. This man is about to launch himself in his homemade rocket to prove that the Earth is flat. What? <laughs> that was my reaction this morning when oh. Eric brought it up. I couldn't believe it. It's, it's, he's a man from California. Uh, his name is Mike Hughes, and he has he's spoken with the Associated Press about this that he is going to be launching himself 1,800 feet in the air on Saturday in a What's rocket. What's the worst that could happen? In a rocket that he built from scrap metal himself. Oh, Lord. To, it, to prove that the Earth is flat. He says that it's marking the first phase of his ambitious flat Earth space program. I'm not 
I am not ever going to get down on somebody, I guess, for pursuing their dreams uh, as zany as I might think that they are. But this guy's going to die, Rob. I yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I I hope he gets some like life insurance or something before he goes out. Like, leave your family enough to like pay for your your funeral. Right, like, like, make those arrangements first, because I don't think this is going to end well. No, I seriously can't imagine this is going to end. And well. he wants to prove that the Earth is 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 flat. flat. He he believes that the Earth is flat, and he thinks that the only way to disprove the the round Earth, what he calls theory, is to get high enough up that he can take photographs that prove that the Earth is flat. And so this is, and he, and he doesn't believe like all the photographs we have everywhere from drones and airplanes. No, I mean, no. Has, has he never, has he never heard of like the commercial air, airline industry? Like you can literally just buy a plane ticket for cheap on Southwest Airlines or something and get up in the air and just see how. That's not high enough. That's. They go up to like thirty thousand feet. He's got to get up into the atmosphere. Well, Atmos flat. How high is he going again? Well, this current one is 1,800 feet, and he's hoping that he will eventually be able to get a launch that puts him miles above the Earth. All right. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could fly. I mean, you could get in an in a airplane that flies at, like, 30,000 feet now. Like, you could buy a commercial airline ticket and fly at 30,000 feet and see that, yes, in fact, the Earth curves. Like this is this is not something you need to like build a homemade rocket to do. I mean, I I don't understand. We're not we're not like in, in Wilbur and Orville Wright days. This is 2017. I don't know. Don't don't crush his dream. I'm. What I want to do is check back in on this on Monday to see yeah. to see where we're I hope at. he survives. I mean, I don't think he's going to. If he oh really boy. does this, I I can't imagine he will live. All right. Well. All right. What's next? All right, we're going to wrap up with TripAdvisor's business practices are now under review by the FTC as more travelers say their warnings of rapes and injuries have been oh blocked. Okay, so people are on TripAdvisor, I'm assuming, reporting things that are happening at businesses like rapes and, and violence and things like that, and TripAdvisor's removing the posts? Yes. Um, for for example, she, she had uh, some woman had been to a tavern south of Baltimore and found a hidden camera on the floor near the toilet and gave it to her pol- and gave it to police uh but when she found out that subsequently the businessman who owns that tavern had been charged with six counts of secretly videotaping women with their pants down she went on to TripAdvisor to leave a review so that people who were maybe going there would know and TripAdvisor said that her post didn't meet their guidelines and therefore was removed. I, I kind of, I mean, in, in that instance, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't maybe perfectly understand what's going on here, but I, I could understand TripAdvisor wanting to exercise a degree of quality to control over the the comments because here's here's the thing, and I hear it all the time in, in my circles. I hear people all the time talking about how they they're gonna. They're going to make up some baloney because they get mad at a business. And so they're going to make up some baloney and post it in the online reviews of that business to hurt them as some sort of retribution. 
And, I mean, it's one thing to put things on there that are truthful and accurate, but a lot of people don't. I, I mean, a lot of people make claims that are unsubstantiated or they're just flat-out lying because they're upset because, I don't know, I mean, sometimes people just get mad at businesses. And so I, I can understand TripAdvisor not wanting people to make wild accusations against these businesses and hurt these businesses without some degree of, of substantiation that, that this actually happened. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, I had some hair in my omelet. It's another thing to say, I got raped in the bathroom. Uh, you know, I mean, if that actually happened, then okay. You know, let's have a conversation about it. But if it if it's not substantiated in some way, and now you're just going to put that in a bit out there and, and tag it on a, on a business, boy, I don't know. And I, I think that's almost epidemic. I mean, it's... I, I hear it a lot in, in my circles. People just, you know, they get mad at a business or whatever. Like, well, I'm going to go on Facebook and give them a negative rating just because I'm upset. They didn't actually earn the negative rating, but it's just in a fit of peak. This is what people do. So I don't know. I, I mean, barring more information, I kinda, I'm kind of siding with TripAdvisor here. Eh. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I, I agree with you to some extent, but I don't like the idea that businesses are benefiting from TripAdvisor deleting negative reviews that may alert other consumers to dangers yeah. in businesses. I just don't Real know. I mean, dangers. if I'm, if, if I'm TripAdvisor, I want to make sure that those claims are accurate though. Like I, if I'm TripAdvisor, like if it's a beyond a certain degree of seriousness, I think I want to make sure those claims are accurate before I put them out. There. That's I think that's the responsible thing to do. All right, let's wrap it up. You're listening to 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. This is The Rob Report. And that's The Rundown. Welcome back, Rob Report. Jeremy Jackson from NDSU's uh, Center for the Study of Public Choice and Private Enterprise is going to be on. There are some really wacky things that you're required to get occupational license for in a lot of the states, uh, North Dakota in particular. We're going to talk with him about that. Uh, and in the last minute, and until that, that last story, you disagreed with me a little bit. And, and I don't know. I mean, those are some very serious accusations. And I don't, want, I don't want them to be hidden or swept under the rug at all if they're true. But I, I, think, I think it used to be that online ratings weren't that big a deal, like even five, ten years ago. They weren't that big a deal because there weren't a lot of people who were finding businesses that way or, or the number who were were relatively small. But today, a lot of people find businesses that way, right? Like nobody uses the yellow pages anymore. Everybody's online. And those ratings are right up front and center, and they could be killer. And there are a lot of people who just make things up. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's endemic. It's it's a real problem. I I don't know what we're gonna do about it, but I I hear people talk about it all the time. Like oh, I just made something up and posted it in the comments. And every time I hear it, I get mad at the people. That's not fair. They, these are people's livelihoods that you're messing with. And because in a fit of peak, because you got mad because they charged you extra for a cup of ranch or something, so you put something horrible about the service that's not true in the business's reviews. That's that's wrong. I mean, it's one thing to give them a negative review because something bad actually happened. But in some ways, I mean, it almost makes me, when something negative actually does happen to me in a restaurant, I'm almost afraid to even go and put it on there because I know a lot of people go on there and just make stuff up. I think it happens a lot. 
It's not good. I, do you hear that? Or am I the only one here? Maybe I maybe I'm just friends with a bunch of jerks. Maybe I'm the only one hearing this. But I I, I never hear. I've never heard anyone that I'm friends with or even like casual acquaintances with say that they've made something up to put on a, a review. And honestly, well, my my problem with online reviews and the, the reason that I take most online like star ratings with a grain of salt is that people are naturally more likely to go out of their way to leave a rating, to leave a comment if something, if something negative, negative has happened right. to them. Yeah. So there, I always assume that there are more negative things being said about a place than positive things just because of that in and of itself. But I don't. I don't have the experience that tells me that those negative things are 80% lies. I I hear people say that. I have heard people say that just because they don't like the person in the community who's, like, working at the business or owns the business. Like, I just don't like that person. I'm going to go out there. I think it happens. I think it happens more often than maybe people like to admit. And um, I, I don't think that's fair. I mean, can you imagine being a business? It's hard enough. A lot of businesses fail. Small businesses, it is tough. To get off the ground, and especially when you've got sort of a public-facing company like that, like you have a restaurant or a, a, a shop of some sort, and now all of a sudden you got people out there just being me. I, I think it's a real problem. I, I think sometimes, I think sometimes people who who rate these businesses are really unfair. If you, if you go through it, go through and read them sometimes. Like I don't look beyond the star rating. Read some of the comments that people actually write to, to make up those comments sometimes. And you can just tell some of them are being petty. Some of them are just being really unfair. And, you know, that that's not right. But we've talked about that on this show before, the tendency of people to want to go online and write a Facebook post about a bad experience they had in the business rather than going to the manager and talking to a person who might be able to correct the issue. You know, they'd rather go on, on Facebook and make an issue out of it. Anyway, that's probably a topic for another show. We're talking occupational licensing next. Just wait. Until you hear some of the things that you have to get a license to do in North Dakota. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. My guest uh, is Jeremy Jackson. He is the director of the NDSU Center for the Study of Public Choice and Private Enterprise. Um, he says North Dakota's occupational licensing needs improvement. Um, I quote from a recent column he had at the Fargo Forum. The good news is that even though North Dakota licenses a lot of occupations, the average burden of its requirements is relatively low. Ranking 49th out of 51. The burden is calculated by combining data on the fees required to obtain a licensure, the number of exams that must be passed, and education and experience requirements. Taking into account both the quantity of licensed occupation and the burden of the requirements, North Dakota ranks as the 23rd worst state for licensing on low-income occupations. This leaves plenty of room for improvement. Proponents of occupational licensing have argued that strict requirements increase public welfare. However, only 10 of the 102 occupations are licensed everywhere, bus drivers being one such example, and 79 occupations are licensed in fewer than 40 states. Um, and then he goes on, one example are shampooers, people who, quote, shampoo and rinse customers' hair. This job is licensed in 37 states. 
including North Dakota. How the residents of Minnesota survive without licensing this occupation is a mystery. Here in North Dakota, we can rest peacefully knowing that our shampooers face $185 in fees and 420 and 20 calendar days of lost labor due to education and experience requirements. Jeremy, I thought the column was interesting. Um, shampooers. Why in the world are we <laughs> licensing shampooers? Well, the, the shampooers case is actually kind of an interesting thing here in North Dakota because technically when you when you become licensed to, to be a shampooer, you're actually a fully licensed cosmetologist. So we, we don't typically actually see people who are just shampooing hair. You have to be a fully licensed cosmetologist to do that. So in some states, they would actually allow people that don't have that full cosmetology license to to actually shampoo someone's hair. I, 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 I feel like I feel like a fully licensed. <laughs> I feel like a fully licensed cosmetologist might be qualified to shampoo somebody's hair. I don't know. I'm certainly well, qualified yeah, to shampoo you, my own hair. You, you you should be, and, and and that's the thing is that you are once you're a cosmetologist, you you are in, indeed qualified to shampoo somebody's hair. Well, do you have some other examples of this from from? Because I mean, we we have a lot more occupational licenses than I think people realize. Do you have some other examples? Yeah, I do. I do. And actually, one of the the most interesting examples for our state is is actually the uh, unarmed guards. So not you know not that many states actually license unarmed guards, but we we in particular have some of the highest requirements in the nation for an unarmed guard. And this is somebody who walks around the mall and, remember, unarmed, so they aren't even carrying a firearm. They, they actually, in the state of North Dakota, let me see, I have this written. Um, we currently require uh, $92 in fees. That's not too much. But overall, your, your, your license requirements require you to lose about 244 days of, of employment just to get the experience that you have to have. That's, now, the, the counterpoint, I, I imagine a lot of people listening to this are saying, well, it, it... and I, I think ensuring that, that there's some level of professionalism and that we don't have, or at least we're trying to minimize the number of you know, maybe criminals or, or incompetents who are doing some of these jobs. And I, I think certainly there are jobs most of us agree, you know, should be licensed. Like, you know, th there should be some, some training involved with it. But in general, sure. I mean, what's, what's the argument you're making here, that, that we're requiring too much? Well, so for the, for the security guards, the next highest number of lost calendar days to get a license is 11. So we require 233 more days of combined training and experience more than the next most burdensome state. And that's a significant bar. And, and you know, I kind of mentioned this, this a little bit in the op-ed, too, that we compare, you know, you, you, can, you can compare barbers. You know, barbers are actually a very highly licensed, licensed thing. We require a very large number of hours of education for you to be a barber. And if you compare that to what we require to be an EMT, EMTs require very little training, um, or payment of fees, passage of exams, which is, I would just say, kind of really? out of whack, right? EMTs that are does, I mean, can, do you have the specifics, like comparing the two? Point, and we, we need somebody who's well-trained to do it. But a barber, you know, we're, we're sitting in the chair and I tend to think that perhaps we're excessively requiring barbers to do more than they should have to. 
Yeah, that that seems to be the case. Uh, especially, I mean, if, if if we're requiring barbers, because here's the thing: like, I don't want a bad haircut, and I don't want the barber to like cut my ear off. But I feel like this is generally pretty. This is pretty manageable. Like, I I can if if I get a bad haircut, my hair is going to grow back, and that barber is probably going to go out of business. I feel like these are things that probably the market can handle, and we don't really need to license, you know, spend a lot of time licensing these people i i it just seems well, silly and especially i mean you, you're saying that the barbers have have have, have more requirements on them or, or at least i guess more licensing requirements on them than, than emts that's exactly right that's exactly right and you're you're hitting well you're what hitting are, i mean can the you compare the two i say that we don't want people to have training there's just a difference between letting people get training and, and advertising that they have this certification, there's a difference between that and the state requiring you to have it. Yeah. Are there other examples with, um, and I've, I've got an email here. Uh, Neil asks, uh, Rob, do you know that there is no license requirements for dental fixture labs? Anyone can make dentures or implants in their garage or basement. Obviously you would need to know what you're doing. Uh, but you don't need any type of a license. I, I think it, that's sort of a weird thing too, where it seems, it seems as though we're not looking like like something like that. You don't require a license, but to be a barber, you do require a license. I mean, how are these policies made? They seem like sort of a mishmash, right? And you know, that's that's something that's actually currently, I think, up for for review. But a lot of times, these occupational license requirements are are created through through an interaction between the politicians and the various um, board associations of the occupations themselves. Yeah, for sure. So, I, I mean, there's some other examples. I mean, we've got barbers that are, you know, they've got tougher licensing than, than EMTs. Uh, any other examples out there? I mean, there's, I know there's, there's a lot of, how many different occupations do we license in the state of North Dakota? Let's start there. Yeah, so I don't have a total number of all occupations that are licensed. The the Institute of Justice report that I was discussing in that op-ed reviews 102 occupations, and of the 102 occupations that they reviewed, North Dakota licenses 65. And that's the 11th most in the entire um, country. It seems a little odd. Like, like this seems like something maybe we could look because, because obviously a lot of these. I, I think it's really interesting to compare state to state because a lot of these occupations, like, we'll license them in North Dakota, but we don't license them in, say, Minnesota or South Dakota or Wisconsin or something like that. So, why wouldn't I mean if it's if it's if it's not important enough where another state could get away without licensing an occupation, like I don't know hair shampooers, then why should our state? license it i i mean is, i i feel like that's an examination law lawmakers should do where we go down this list and we say well how many of these are licensed L look specifically at the licenses that aren't required in all 50 states and then look at how things are going in the state that's not licensing that occupation and say well if they're getting away with it why not us because i i mean to me i think well, the default position should be you don't have to have a license Right. And I think the, the argument that comes up a lot is that obviously, you know, and I kind of sarcastically made the point about about shampooers in Minnesota, but that public health is at stake. Right. If we don't if we don't have occupational licenses for these for these jobs, then public health is going to suffer. And that's that's usually the argument that's put in place to, to, to try to keep hold of these licenses and to put them in place. But 
you know, some researchers have, have done some extensive studies of this, in particular, Morris Kleiner at the University of Minnesota is kind of an expert on this, but he's, he's found that when you examine the empirical evidence that occupi- occupational licensing requirements really haven't been found to, to improve public safety at all, or even the quality of services. So it might not even affect how good of a haircut you have, Rob. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not against licensing some occupations. I just feel like we could be doing a lot less. Um, it, and, and also, I mean, any anytime when you've got barbers or, or having a tougher time than, than EMTs, I mean, nothing against the EMTs, but that's a pretty important position. That just seems it just seems kind of odd. Um, do you feel final question? Do you feel like some of this when I look at the way some of these laws get passed? We had a debate here in North Dakota, for instance, about uh, like license creating a new tier for dental care and and we were going to license like advanced dental hygienists and there was a big backlash from the dental industry because we were going to allow these advanced hygienists or whatever you want to call them to do some some simple procedures like tooth extraction and the dentist got all up in arms and they didn't want to license it is that a lot of what these occupational licensing is used is just sort of almost like guilds protecting entry into their fields well, and that that is what what a lot of the research shows. While while they don't seem to really have much effect on public health, they do tend to have an upward pressure on prices. They do tend to limit the ability of new entrants into these occupations. And a lot of these occupations are are things that actually, you know, they're 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 typically low income occupations. They're they're the occupations that actually, if you move to North Dakota to take a job, maybe your spouse could could find employment in this occupation if they only could satisfy our our licensing requirements. Um, so I think you're exactly right, too, that it's, it's a matter of these entrenched interests. Once you have this licensure requirement, you are able to, to get higher prices for your services. Why would you want to get away, do away with this license that you had to work so hard to achieve and get, and now, you know, you're going to have to compete with somebody who didn't get the license. So... It's kind of an understandable dilemma, but that's that's the crux of it. Well, it's an interesting issue. Jeremy, thanks for your time. Thank you, Rob. That's Jeremy Jackson. He is the director of the NDSU Center for the Study of Public Choice and Private Enterprise. More to come straight ahead on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDY.com. I think, I think occupational licensing is one of those things that it sounds like a good idea on paper, right? Like, like okay, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to license dog groomers. You know, I don't know if dog groomers are licensed or not, but let's just, we're going to license dog groomers. So we're going to make sure that we don't have you know, uh, dog groomers out there like hurting dogs or, or whatever. But the truth is, like, some of these some of these jobs, like, I mean, there's good jobs. There's nothing wrong with it. Just, they don't really take a lot of skill. And, and people who aren't very good at them aren't going to, like, I, I don't really know that it's it's something that, that we need to regulate. Like, if you take your dog to a dog groomer and your dog comes back and it's got a goofy-looking haircut, 
you can just not take your dog to that groomer again. Find somebody else. And eventually that, that groomer will either figure it out and figure out how to give better haircuts or will go out of business. But I think a lot of this is self-regulating, says the guy who was just ranting about the online reviews. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, I was going to say, you know, you were talking about barbers and cosmetologists before, and you, you failed to recognize a large portion of what those people do deals directly with extremely strong chemicals. Anytime you're dealing with hair dye, hair relaxers, perms, that's all chemical that they're working with and putting on right. your scalp. I have never seen my barber give and dye anybody's hair. Well, I've seen barbers don't do that sort of. And that's it. Barbers are licensed differently than like than cosmetologists. Well, cosmetologists but, were part of the the shampooer group. Yeah, and I, I think you've you got I want my cos. I want my hairstylist lady. If I go to get yeah. my hair cut, I need her to be licensed because if I want her to make my hair dark blue again. I want to make sure that I have dark blue hair and not a severely chemically burned bald scalp when I leave. I do I do worry though that, that we're at a point where we license too many occupations and and then a lot of them is it because it's really interesting because if you look a, a lot of the licensing in North Dakota is handled by like boards. And so you'll have like a board of podiatrists and a board of dentists and all this stuff. And, and they're sanctioned by the state, but they're sort of quasi-public, quasi-private. And then they do like their lobbying through their organization. So now all of a sudden the organization is not just a sort of referee within the profession saying these are our standards and this is what you got to you know meet to get a license and th this is the process for disciplining somebody and removing a license not just being that referee but actually advocating on behalf of of the industry i, I think that's problematic too and I, I think that's where some of this turns into to guilds you know where it's, it's just sort of it's it's not really about protecting the consumer it's about protecting the profession from unwanted competition. And and that to me is when it becomes problematic. And and I don't know. I mean if we're licensing if we're licensing an occupation in North Dakota, but they're not licensing it in a place like Minnesota, I, I think it's fair to ask, how is Minnesota getting away with not licensing it? I mean, what are the circumstances there? And if it's fine without the license in Minnesota, then why not get rid of the license here? Because that's what I would prefer is no license. That's what I would prefer. Now I'm not saying no licenses at all. I would prefer the default being no license, and then if you think we need to license a, a, a an occupation, then make the case for it, right? Like, I think doctors should be licensed. You know, I don't have any question about that. I am scratching my head at what our guests in the last hour said, Mr. Jackson. EMTs have less licensure requirements than barbers? That seems ridiculous to me. I, I can't imagine a state of affairs that led to that, to barbers having more licensing requirements than EMTs. How yeah, in the world I'm, did we I'm get there? I'm not sure how that one worked out. I don't know either. Somebody probably had a good lobbyist. Do you suppose? Uh, probably. Uh, let's see, Scott emails. Oh, you know, earlier in the program we were talking about the guy who wants to fly a rocket up in the air to see if the Earth is round or not because things like drones are... Or like a kite. There you go. Why couldn't you get a drone? Well, why couldn't you put a GoPro on a kite? Right? Like, <laughs> anyway... Scott emails, I kid you not, I saw a Facebook for Facebook post that said the world is flat. That is why our feet are flat. If the world was round, then we would have feet that are circular. I guess just random things from Facebook. 
That's a terrible you probably random thing. You, you probably shouldn't just believe everything you've seen on Facebook. Uh, let's see. Caller, Sam, you're up. How you doing, Rob? Doing good. Yeah, I like the subject. Uh, you know, something I've always been aware of is when it comes to licensing, especially in North Dakota, it, it's always follow the money. It's all about uh, protecting uh, crafts or trades, uh, not necessarily protecting the public. I mean, they use safety as a, uh, an excuse or rationale for licensing, but so often it just comes down to the money. They don't want somebody who doesn't have as much training or schooling doing the same thing that a licensed person does. But it's a, there's a two-edged sword to it. Uh, for example, in the state of North Dakota, it's not required to have a, a high-pressure boiler license. So you, in North Dakota, you can be a complete uh, unskilled, unexperienced person when it comes to boiler operation and run a, uh, a massive power plant. But there's a reason for that, and that's because all these schools all over North Dakota, rural North Dakota, western North Dakota, all have boilers. And, you know, for uh, a small school district in, let's say, uh, Raleigh, North Dakota, uh, would have to hire somebody that's got a license, thus pay them more money or send them to school or things like that. So they choose not to make that a requirement. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, so think, I think, just, I think, I think, I think you follow the money. Yeah. I, I think you're right on a lot of that, Sam. And you look at the, thanks for the call. You look at the debate we have over like the pharmacy law in North Dakota, right? Where we have this law that's set up that basically keeps companies like Walmart and Target from opening pharmacies. And then we've had this, this fight on ballot measures. We've had this fight in the legislature and we're always told, Oh, we gotta, we gotta protect the consumers of North Dakota. And I'm like, well, protect it from what? The ability to choose to buy their pharmacy, their pharmaceuticals at Walmart or Target, that's where we got to protect them from? That doesn't make any sense to me. Tanya sends a message. Your producer is absolutely right. To be an artist in cosmetology, that is a knack. But if you don't know the chemicals and even the sanitizing of instruments, there could be a real issue with diseases and people harming other people. Also, I don't know if the license of barbers is more than EMT. Cosmetologists go for 1,800 hours in North Dakota and 1,500 in Minnesota. I think the barbers are required to do less hours. Yeah. Maybe EMTs are required to do even less than that. I don't know. Uh, we'll be right. Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be on taking your phone calls and email. 701-293-9000. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970, WDAY, AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Congressman Kevin Kramer joining me now. Congressman, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Rob. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm net neutrality, it's all over the Internet again because uh, the FCC is going to be announcing new rules uh, next week, is it? We're going to get the new rules out? I, yeah, it's like... The- before the December, I think it's that December 12th meeting, um, but the chairman has already released them to the other members, I understand, and the details are going to be forthcoming, and yeah, then they'll vote on it. I think it's the 12th. 
when I'm on, when I'm online reading social media, I'm reading Reddit, and this sounds like the end times are coming. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that um, is that prior to the the current net neutrality rule, there wasn't a net neutrality rule for all of the years that the internet was being developed, and um, you know the dynamic growth of the internet, both the internet service provider side of it as well as the content carriers, and with absent government regulation, the internet was doing very very well. So, the notion that somehow this is you know some vast you know, end end of times is a bit crazy to say the least. But since net neutrality did become you know become the the law of the land, so to speak, when the FCC previous FCC issued the the ruling and went through the whole process of of uh, litigating, um, we have seen actually a decline in investment in the internet. And it's, you know you can't always say that the the cause and effect are you know directly one to the other, but. That said, it is what we predicted would happen if you initiated a, what's known as a a um, Title II regulatory regime on the internet. That is to say, a, a regime that's built around monopoly and monopoly utilities like railroads and electric companies, electricity uh, utilities, which you know stems from the 1930s. It's just a regulatory regime that's never made any sense, in my view, at least for the internet. There, there's a lot of, and we've, we've talked about this before, but I yeah. think because it's, it is a complex issue and I think people have a hard time understanding what all the fuss is about, but, but some of the, the horror stories, and by the way, if you want to ask the congressman question, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Some of the horror stories we hear are from people who are saying things like, well, Verizon is going to be able to, uh, charge you extra, uh, to see Hulu or to stream Hulu on your phone uh, or through your your home internet connection where, where Verizon provides that, uh, but but maybe not charge you for for Netflix. So they're going to pick and choose how you access access the internet, or they're going to charge you like a higher tier. Like if you're a gamer, they could charge you more money for your gaming traffic as opposed to maybe just traffic for email and and surfing the web. Sure. Uh, what, what's your response to people who are saying that? Like, that could happen, and it's a negative thing. Well, so two thoughts. So first of all, I think there needs to be a discussion about whether that could happen. Now, it's not happened to this point, um, but you take a take a carrier or take a um, you know, content, content provider like a Netflix or, or a Hulu or Voodoo. I mean, obviously, they're using a lot more of the pipe, if you will, than somebody who's just sending an email. Should there be, I think it's a reasonable expectation, a reasonable um, discussion to say, should they pay more or less? Should Netflix have to pay more for you know, taking so much of the capacity of the Internet? And I think that's a reasonable discussion to have. The second one is, is um, you know, w- will they? Well, they, they haven't to this point. And I think, by and large, Rob, the free market has worked quite well in the internet space. The reason that a Verizon or an AT&T or you know, Mid-Continent Cable or whoever your carrier might be, the reason they don't charge more isn't because there's been a regulation all these years, because there hasn't been. Um, they do it because they want to be competitive. They want to be this internet service provider of choice in their communities. And yes, even in rural North Dakota, they're many, much of the time, if not most of the time, are competitors for that business. So uh, that said some of the principles of a, a neutral uh, internet and and I think net neutrality is simply a, a you know, term of art that was co-opted frankly by the the 
people that wanted more uh, internet regulation. But we have had legislation, in fact, in the, on the House side, and I'm on the Committee of Jurisdiction and even the subcommittee, the direct subcommittee of jurisdiction, Communications and Technology Subcommittee, we've offered legislation that would pro- prohibit um, things like throttling, that is just what you're talking about, giving you know, greater access to certain, certain um, content, or blocking, which blocks certain content, or price discrimination, which we've talked about. It's not that we're against those basic principles. What I, what I am afraid of is Title II regulation that's designed for, you know, the railroad way back when and Ma Bell in the 1930s and, you know, and, and, and monopoly electric utilities just doesn't work here because, of course, the ultimate conclusion is that you soon will have rate regulation. We even tried a, a legislation that would prohibit rate regulation when the previous FCC was saying it's not our intention to regulate rates, yet they opposed a bill that would prohibit them from doing exactly that. I think it's interesting that, that a lot of people react so negatively to the idea of different like pricing tiers yeah. for different types of, of Internet traffic. Now, I there's a lot of places that do this. When I go to the car wash... I have a lot of different options. Like I have just sort of a basic wash that's cheaper. That's they're basically just going to rinse and, and scrub my my truck a little bit, all the way up to like a Supreme wash where they're going to put like wax on and and like Rain-X on and, and all these these add-ons that that costs me more. When I go, I kind of have a menu there and I can choose which one I want based on my needs. And to me, that's not a bad thing. Like like I'm not so sure. Like wouldn't uh, people who who stream a lot and i stream a lot we're we're a cord cutter family so it's netflix and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that for us um okay so so maybe my bill goes up a little bit but then people who are only using email or only you know you know doing facebook a little bit from their phone at home maybe they pay less like maybe what's wrong with that sort of price flexibility i guess (laughs) well i think it's an interesting point and i i think you make it i think you make it very well rob I do think, though, that what's at issue here is, is the pipe into your home, the fiber op, the fiber or whatever it is, the cable, whatever it is you're hooked up to, should that be treated as a common carrier, much like a, a oil pipeline is treated or a gas pipeline is treated or a railroad is treated? And under common carrier, you don't have that flexibility. Now, you're subscribing to those services that are riding on that internet, and you're paying whether it's nine bucks a month for Netflix or, you know, whatever you pay for for Hulu. But, you know, but if you if you are allowing the internet service provider to to also discriminate with price based on those same factors, are you just sharing the cost of that with the internet service provider? And, and so that's that's the tricky issue here. Is you've got both content on the one hand. That's why Google loves net neutrality. Um, Netflix loves net neutrality. And then you've got the Internet service providers on the other side. The, the other thing that a lot of people don't consider, and if you talk to um, the companies that are, that are owning these Internet service provider companies, they'll tell you, and North Dakota is a good example, that at certain times of the day, you pretty much can, you know, you, you can get close to shutting down the Internet with enough streaming and that means that somebody that's not using it for streaming, maybe using it for something, something else even more important, maybe doing your homework, um, you might not. You might have a much slower internet connection because of that. So should you have to pay for the other person's streaming? And so I think there's there's a lot to be discussed. It's not nearly as simple as it appears in in its 
terminology net neutrality. But I just think at the end of the day, the government doesn't generally fix these things. And the, the Internet was working very, very well without a government oversight or the intense type of regulation that net neutrality brings about. And I think we'd do well to get rid of it sooner rather than later. I don't know. I mean, call me old-fashioned, but I generally think that Internet service people, like like any given company, any given Internet company, want satisfied customers, right? They want right. customers that That's aren't right. unhappy. And so yep. they're going to find a way to do that. And I, I just I don't understand why we're so afraid. Yeah, Uber does the same thing. When I was at, I, I was at the Capitol in Congress one time. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I was hanging out with you at the, at the, at the Capitol dome in, in DC and we left and Congress had let out and I was trying to get an Uber up to the Capitol and they told me, you know, I could get one now, but I was going to pay more if I waited 20 minutes. So I walked around the Capitol and I took some pictures and then I waited 20 minutes and then I was able to get a cheaper one a little bit later. Like, I, I mean, to me, that seems really convenient and a good way to just sort of, you know, get the maximum number of services to people as quickly as possible and and you know signal to people that you know if you make certain choices you could get away a little bit cheaper like that all seems good to me i i mean it seems that if if we deregulate that it's going to be more flexibility and more people are going to be end up satisfied with their internet service maybe not everybody's satisfied but more people satisfied and what more can you hope for to try to you're absolutely right rob i completely agree i just think the best example of it is the internet itself for all those decades remember Net neutrality, various versions of net neutrality have been overturned by as high as the United States Supreme Court in previous cases. So it took a long time to get a, a model that would actually hold up to federal court scrutiny. And so the reality is, is that you're right. Clear price signals to the marketplace are by far the best, and that that'll bring down costs, not bring up cost and it will inspire innovation because you're exactly right everybody wants satisfied customers what about and last last question what about sure. rural areas because because whenever this comes up i get a question from somebody saying well, what about those of us who live in rural areas that have very few if any choices when it comes to internet like we'll have like one internet provider the idea of market like if i'm dissatisfied with what my local internet provider is doing I can't choose anybody else. There, there is nobody else. What do you say to those people? Well, and I, I do think there's some, there's something to that. Although I'm telling you, more and more, we're seeing even rural communities getting options. Almost everybody now has some sort of a cable company into their community. They almost certainly have a telephone company that either has fiber to the home or, or you know, wireless. And so you're getting to see more competition, even in the most remote communities of, of uh, America. But that said, we're always about trying to find new ways to bring broadband technology to rural America. And one of the ways that I'm pushing for, along with our governor, Doug Burgum, of course, is this issue with um, broadcast white space, which provides a very high speed, um, very flexible broadband connectivity because it's not subject to it's not as subject to contours of, of land and obstacles in the way and line of sight and all those other more confining technologies in, in typical wireless communication so there are some things we need to do to make sure that there are more and more options in rural america but further regulation of the internet isn't it well kevin appreciate your time thank you for the opportunity as always thanks rob it's Congressman Kevin Kramer. We'll wrap up the show right after this. If you want to join in, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away.
Well, I found her out in Baltimore. She never tried to show me the door. She said, Stay with me tonight. Welcome back, Rob Report. Last segment before the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm not going to be in Friday. Until you're working Friday. Yeah, of course I am. Somebody's got to do their job around this radio station. Hey, I don't take that much time off. At least I'm not taking every Friday off like Thomas does. <laughs> Only during the summer. He works during the That's winter. That's true. That's true. Um, it's, uh, former State Representative Betty Grandy is going to be on. Uh, she'll be sitting in for me on Friday. So it'll be uh, Betty and Natil sitting in on your Black Friday. So uh, tune in for that. I'll be back on Monday. Uh, boy, this, this flat earth thing's not going away. Emailer, uh, Rob, you got to love YouTube. <laughs> Here's proof of the round earth. College students already sent a GoPro into space attached to a can of beer. Well, well there you, you go. Sent the YouTube video of it. How they say, how do you send a can of beer into space? I suppose if you, well, it's going to be a lot easier to send a can of beer into space than it would be to send Some a person guy. into space because the weight is much less. You could probably send a beer can into space with like things that you can get a hold of as an average everyday citizen. I imagine the things required to push the amount of weight that a human being contains, plus the rocket ship itself out of the Earth's atmosphere, is not something that, you know, Joe Blow or Rob Port or Natil Falk could go out and just get a hold of. Yeah. Uh, you know, here, here's the thing, because we're talking about the guy. Uh, I don't even remember what his name is now. He's from California. They, they, He's going to yeah. try to launch himself 1,800 feet uh, into the air to uh, this Saturday to start his personal space program to prove that the Earth is flat. So if I was going to, like, supposing for a minute that I'm not sane and understand that the Earth is, in fact, round, if I was going to do that, I would I would concoct some sort of a balloon situation instead of a rocket. Like, balloons just seem, I mean, none of it's safe. None of it's safe, but I would rather, like, the gradual ascent than trying to, like, fire myself into into the stratosphere yeah, as the, some sort of a projectile. The thing with that is that the oxygen gets so thin up there that if you, once you got up there, you'd die if you, okay, weren't, yeah, con- I, if you weren't contained in something. Okay, yeah, I would still rather figure that out than be shot like a projectile in the stratosphere. <laughs> That's, if, if we're going to go away, if, if we're going to do something. Yeah, see, I, so. I would, I'd, prefer, I'd prefer the rapid... I would prefer the possibility of rapid death by fiery explosion than the possibility of slow, painful, suffocating death. As well, the I, I mean, you're going up there. Thin. You could put you could put like a mat. Get some scuba gear or something. Put a mat. <laughs> okay, so now you gotta now you gotta pull the scuba gear up I with you. Know. So we're adding weight. So your balloon. How about this? How about bigger. we just leave it to the professionals? How's that? Well, I'm- also <laughs> I don't. I don't think you have to get that high to start to see the curvature of the Earth. Like, you don't, don't have to get up into, like, space. I don't know if he thinks that the Earth is completely, like, totally flat or if, because, the like, you can have something that's got some slight curvature that isn't necessarily round. But like, even I mean, then, a dinner even plate, then, like, you, you see the cur- plate over, it's got a little yeah. bit of curvature to it. Even then, you see the curvature, and then you also understand how many miles it is between, say, you know, New York and Tokyo. And then you got to understand the Earth's got to be round because you can't have that curvature and also have that distance between locations on Earth without it being round. That's a better way to go about that. And how do you describe it? Like if you just keep going, like you start in New York and you just keep going west and you go west far enough, 
Pretty soon you're going to end up in New York again. Well, yeah, we, we've had people do things like that. We've had people circumnavigate the earth. Why are we even talking about this? It's 2017. Well, because this guy's going to shoot himself 1,800 feet into the air in a homemade rocket. I hope he's, I hope he's okay. What do you think of Congressman it. Kramer on net neutrality? You probably hated um, it. I didn't hate him. Well, not hate him. You probably hated his argument. I was not a fan of the arguments either one of you were making, to be completely honest with you. I just, I don't see what, I, I don't understand what everybody's afraid of. Oh, we might get some congestion pricing for the internet. So what? The internet is, the internet's not a car wash. The internet it's a is service a, like anything else. It's it's become an absolute necessity to modern life. A it car is. wash and, is not a necessity. And to if we allow some pricing flexibility, it might become more accessible than ever before. There's pricing flexibility right now. You can pay for faster internet. But, but I don't what wanna... you want is to treat all internet traffic the same. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that's a good idea. Meh. I I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to let the market experiment and test it out. Hey, Jay Thomas Show coming up next. I'll be back Monday. Former uh, State Representative Betty Grandy sitting in for me Friday. Enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday. We'll talk again.